the Tide to the Tracks, where podcast about records. We love records. We stand this album. My name is Barb Abney. I am a DJ and voice actor from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Augustus Watkins. I am a musician and an indie record label owner in Los Angeles. And we have a guest, <laughs> Patrick Richardson. Say hello. Hi. I guess, you know, since you all introduced yourself, I'm Patrick. I, I'm a laundry guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the laundry guy, the regular radio personality, the uh, store owner, chain store owner, um, author and television host. Did we get everything? And creator of Laundry Camp. But uh, you can leave that out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now. oh, Patrick, thank you so much. Uh, we've jumped through some hoops on this one. And I appreciate your your patience with us. But thank you for being here today. Oh, it's so much fun. I've been excited. It's been so fun to re to listen to this album in like a holy way all over again. So it's been super fun. Good. So what we're talking about is Olivia Newton-John's Greatest Hits, Volume 2. Before we get into it, I have to know, why not Volume 1? Well, Volume 1 is wonderful, but it's sort of her country years. Mm. You know, Volume 1 is all the Nashville years. And okay. Volume 2 is the era that, you know, I mean, Olivia Newton-John is my ultimate girl crush. Uh -huh. She's my only girl crush, really. I mean, you know, and volume two is that period in which, like, I fell in love with her. And when I became totally in love with her, and, you know, the reason that I'm in love with her today is because of the era that volume two kind of encompasses. At least for this week, Olivia Newton-John has also been my number one girl crush. As yeah. well. <laughs> How could she not be? Wow. I what mean, a talent. Oh, and know. she was so she was the girl next door, but she was smoking hot when oh. she needed to be smoking hot. She's older than me and she looks maybe 10 years younger than me. She is just like she's ageless. And yeah. I, I know this material. I know I know it all. But maybe I didn't. Mm hmm. And then it doesn't hurt that basically ah, three quarters of these songs are about her being sexually available. And so on top right. of all that, she's just like, she wants it. She's like, <laughs> she can't help how much she wants it. And you're like, well, that makes two of us, Olivia. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. What's funny, that's something that I'm not going to say how old I was when this album came out because, you know, don't give it all away because it came out in 82, but I think about, you know, little Patrick loving her like I did listening to this music. I'm like, wow, you know, pretty racy stuff for a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Shall we dive in now? Yeah. Go. Track one, Heart Attack. You must think that I'm just crazy If you only So I was looking at the timeline and the timeline of the writing of this song, which maybe she didn't write it, but she had to become it mm -hmm. was about the timeline where she was being wooed by Mr. Matt Latanzi. Oh, her fine. good looking. Yeah. Her good looking hubby who mm -hmm. you will see in Greece too. Right. 
oh, I wonder if that's part of, you know, maybe he was giving her a heart attack. Maybe. It's funny. I have a special love for this song. This album was released September 3rd of 82. And the first time I ever saw her in concert was September 18th of 82. Oh, my God. Uh Yeah. So this album had literally just come out. And this song was a single, but it hadn't really gotten much airplay at that point. And so Uh I saw her sing it in concert. And, you know, just, I mean, I nearly had a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Gus, did you know this one before? No, I didn't. I was uh, really struck by how much it felt like a Prince thing or maybe a Let's Dance thing, which I should, now that I think about it, was probably later than 82 as far as 85 or 86. Um, so maybe it's better to say that Let's Dance is indebted to this. I loved her I'm crazy like vocal thing. Like she doesn't do that anywhere else. That's like very much just like something she puts on for this song mm-hmm. as part of her performance. And that's something that I think shows up to the whole record is how versatile she is and how talented and expressive and mm-hmm. just the the ways that she can be is very diverse and very fun and very charming all the way through. Yeah, she's totally charming, even when she's singing something sexy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a really fun thing. And, you know, the thing about Heart Attack is, of course, it was supposed to be the next, like, we'll say, big single, because it's one of only two singles from this album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's just come off physical, which was, I'm relatively certain I'm right on this. It was the number one song of the 80s. Yeah. Top, top, top of the charts for the 80s. And... You know, so she's coming out with this and she's trying to move into that much sexier sort of direction because she kind of did it, you know, with Totally Hot and then, which there's a couple of songs from that. But then, you know, she moves into physical, which is this phenomenon, you know, I mean, it was this crazy sort of thing. It had a, I don't know if you remember, but you probably don't because you look too young, but there was a CBS special that was just the single, just the videos from physical. No way. Um, and because it was this thing, like it was just this phenomenon. I don't know what other word to use. And so, you know, then she has to follow up with something that's really exciting. And I think Heart Attack is really exciting. It's fun to listen to. It's fast. It did sound different. I mean, I think it's interesting that you made the Bowie thing because for some reason it reminds me of um, like the other female singers of the time. Even though it sounds nothing like it, it reminds me of like Bonnie Tyler or mm-hmm. um, some of those people who are a little, Stevie Nicks, somebody who was a little more rocker. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it's her voice, the way her voice sounds to me, sounds a little more rock than she had been. Yeah, she kind of yeah. pushes to she pushes to that uh, that vocal break thing where she's kind of she's doing a little raspy thing in that chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that. Mm-hmm. And it's not like she was the Disney star who was trying to take some clothes off and separate mm-hmm. herself from that label. But she, she was, she was always the good girl. Right. Right. And as we move into magic. I was way too young when I watched uh, the movie for the first time. 
Xanadu. When I watched Xanadu, I had no idea what the hell was going on. You know, I I really had no idea. There were roller skates and Olivia, Olivia Newton-John, and they were singing great songs. And I, I was crazy about her. So, and she just is so damn sweet. But this song gives me goosebumps from my oh. childhood. Can you talk a little more about this? Because I want to, I'm trying to figure out. So 1980 is before my time, which is when Magic was released. And I'm trying to figure out like what was in the air in 1980 that makes this weird ass fever dream song such a hit because this is a weird song everything about this song is weird this sonically it's weird like the drums are like in, bouncing around the channels the chord progressions mm-hmm. are crazy this song sounds like you like that liminal phase between sleep and awake to me and i'd like which is really cool but the top 40 that I listened to was so different from this by the time I'm that age, yeah. by the time I'm radio age. <laughs> what is in the air in 1980 that magic is a, is such a hit? Reagan was elected. <laughs> Reagan was elected. We needed some kind of. So that gives like, us weird. I, not, not, not to say that I really knew what was going on other than like on the back of my weekly reader, we had to, you know, pick a pick either Carter or Reagan and, you know, the class turned it in so we could have our own election day result. But that's about all I remember of, you know, the Reagan stuff at that time. I was not into politics, but, um, you know, it was a lot different, like video effects. I, I think the video toaster was still being used for video effects, you know, mm. and so like and green screens and you can see, you know, the line around them. Yeah. that you would see on a green screen is, you know, it's okay. It's acceptable because it's, you know, that's like magic dust where they the come into the screen, you know? Yeah. But this song, man. Oh, so good. Well, and it doesn't sound like anything else. I mean, I think that's part of what's great, but it's really weird because I think back on it, like I think of it because, you know, I think of Xanadu and you've got ELO mm-hmm. performing music, her singing and Gene Kelly dancing. You really at this moment have like this powerhouse that, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, peanut butter plus chocolate. <laughs> combination that just, it's so incredible. Right. That it's either going to just work or it's going to become Xanthi. And <laughs> wow. Um, and yet you have to know that Xanadu is the reason that I love Olivia Newton-John. It isn't Greece. It's Xanadu. I mean, that was, I saw it. And the first time I saw it, I was mesmerized. And I mean, I remember just looking at the movie and just, it blew my mind, right? Mm. Oh. And so I think about magic and, you know, it's funny because it kind of feels very sort of like what the 80s is going to become, like sort of very pop. But doesn't it also remind you of like Yacht Rock? Oh, that yeah. was sort of the thing, right? At, I mean, it's funny. So it kind of bridges that, gap i mean it really is one of those songs that it sounds like the past and the future at the exact same moment and i think that's the reason it was so exciting because it sounded different but it wasn't as different as xanadu you could still relate to it the production on this is just so weird i I was just like falling over listening to how cool these sounds are and all the choices that they made. They literally don't make music like this anymore with um, they don't make hits like this anymore. The, the, the sophisticated chords that are going on in magic and really all over musicologists have tracked it. We just don't make songs with as many chords as, as we used to, which is why magic just feels like a, 
shining beacon from a different magical past, you know? Well, which is great because if you, I mean, let's put it in the context of the movie. That's exactly what it's supposed to yeah. be. It's supposed yeah. to be the past and the future. And you just said, it sounds like the past, yet it was totally a pocket. Yeah. Which kind of, it kind of is, it does what it's supposed to do, I guess. And it's funny because of all of her songs, and I mean, you know, I have more than one playlist devoted to her on Spotify, <laughs> um, on my phone. <laughs> Well, different days. And I love Xanadu enough that I was in New York to see the opening of Xanadu on Broadway. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I love Xanadu. Like, I have a Xanadu uh, Broadway poster, and I have bid on multiple Xanadu movie posters, but I have yet to win one. I mean, I love Xanadu. Nice. But I heard the song, you know, on Broadway, right? And and it was very, it was a strange thing when when you saw Xanadu on Broadway, there were 20 seats on the stage and you sat in the amphitheater and they roller skated around you. Oh. And because I was a, because I was just buying one ticket, I actually was able to, to do it. And so I'm sitting on stage. So I'm actually looking at the cast and looking at the audience at the same time. And when you hear magic, everybody is just like, stops. It's like this, you know, it's like a prayer or something. It's this, like, it's a song that, you know, everyone loves. And yeah. I think that of all of the Olivia Newton-John songs, if I had, like, if you forced me to pick a favorite, Magic would have to make my top three. It's just incredible. Wow. And you got Tears from Barb on the second song. Well done. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Barbara and I were texting earlier. I was definitely tearing up in some of the just, like, amazing emotions that were coming out of me from this. I was definitely not expecting... I mean, I, you know, you're going to get Olivia Newton-John was just like one of the biggest performers of her era, um, I mean, if not the biggest. And I knew, I knew we were going to be in like, you know, heady territory or, you know, the top. But I just I kept being just completely surprised at how moment by moment every song was just so it's just stunningly good. Mm-hmm. Multifaceted. Yes. I got a story about physical. Yes. So Patrick's from a little farther south than I am, but I'm in my church, my Baptist church. We weren't supposed to dance, but my next door neighbor and I went to the same church and her mom started an aerobics course. Yeah. And she bought that album because keeping physical, right? Uh. She locked it in a closet when she wasn't (laughs) home. (laughs) And me and Jeanette figured out her mom left her keys at home one time to go to the grocery store. And we it's not like you couldn't hear the damn song on the radio every 90 minutes, you know, but we figured out how to get we got in and we got out. I had a record player and she had the record. So I bring my record player, up, you know, the little suitcase and put her record on. And we're just dancing to physical in the front room when her mom, you know, we don't see the car pull into the garage or hear the garage door. We're just dancing to physical. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Consequences were had. Church stuff. There was some, (laughs) well, see, my mom did not care 
if I listened to Olivia Newton-John. She did not care if I danced, but their family did. And mm. there was a very fine line between aerobics and dancing. So we haven't even talked about the song yet, and I'm going to keep us diverted for a little while longer because this what was again, what was going on, y'all, in in the Simon America? Like we all just sort of agreed to pretend that physical was about exercise and like not about fucking because this song is <laughs> very much about fucking. Right. I mean, you're going to do it horizontal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you can't, you just can't, you know, like there's a suggestive <laughs> film. Like, and you don't go to an intimate restaurant before or after you work out. Right. So the song completely betrays uh, itself or, you know, it, it is what it is. Do we all agree the emperor had clothes on and that physical was about exercise? Well, I mean, don't, but don't you think that's what's so genius about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, we number one hit of the 80s. Um, but that was the genius that somebody was like, you know, <laughs> we filmed this in a gym. Yeah. We could get this video on MTV. And and the other thing is, you know, that was right at the beginning of like the aerobics thing. I mean, it was it was funny because that song, I actually read that um, they they wanted Rod Stewart. That was who the song was actually yeah. for. And then the second person was Tina Turner, and then she turned it down, and then Livy was third. And you know, if Tina Turner would have done it, it probably would have been on Private Dancer, which was like two years later. Yeah. And the time would have been lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. The moment was perfect because it was the beginning of the 80s it's the start of you know yuppies and the decade of me and everybody decided to go to the gym all at the same time like i, I missed this time because you know but at one time everybody all over the world decided to go to the gym and it was the exact same time that we're going to put a song called physical uh-huh and so you know i think that it was just i think it was just brilliant marketing you know it was like that free cream cheese it just was this <laughs> mistake. you know what i mean like you just yes. say it's something else i mean it's fun you know yeah because because just like sex we all want cream cheese and you uh, know yeah well and i think to this day physical still gets used during exercise classes and it's you know when you think about like some of the stuff that's out there. Don't get me wrong. I try to stay current on music, but some of the stuff that my daughter listens to, like there's no more innuendo. There's no more sweetness. It's like, yeah, you get down there, daddy. You know, it's like, (laughs) wow. Okay. Yeah, totally. Okay. I mean, I I appreciate that we're empowered now, but it's out there. There, There's no hiding it. It's just like, "Mm, see it. Right. Taste it, you know, <laughs> physicals like <laughs> she's still kind of like, you know, make your move. Come on. Yeah. There's still restaurant going and movie going. Right. Um, there's still a uh, an attempt to keep one's hands on the table, you know. So, right. Yeah. There's uh, and that's <laughs> and what you're saying, Barb, is that's gone now. Oh, I mean, why, right. why bother? We're why, just why, railing in the bathroom. Why are we spending we our money at this music, at this, at this restaurant? You right. know what? We that's could true. just, we could go home, get naked and have it door dashed later. That's yeah, true. Right. Because also, because thanks to Ronald Reagan, we're all way too broke to afford the dating phase. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Condoms are cheap. Right. <laughs> 
could be the condom or the movie, you know, yeah. it could be like, <laughs> didn't um, Rod Stewart have to make that decision at one point? Physical, just to cap it up, because we haven't talked about the song at all. It's just, it's such a jam. It's so energetic. It's just really fun. Again, there's just like some really sophisticated, clever moments in the music that, you know, if you put on headphones and, and ignore the world and ignore your family for, you know, an hour and like get into a song, get into an artist, like we have to do for this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You, um, <laughs> you can really hear some of the incredible choices that, you know, she's making and the producers around her are making absolutely banger song. No surprise that this song went platinum in a month. And wow. uh, like Patrick wow. said, yeah, in a month. And like Patrick said, Billboard declared it the biggest song of 1982 and later ranked it the biggest song of the entire decade. So when we talk, yeah. So when we talk about the eighties, I it's, it's odd. I think that Olivia Newton-John isn't higher in the, in the conversation, you know, higher That's up. That's a good sort point. Of, based on that, she belongs in eighties music on, on Mount Rushmore. Right. Right. Next to Tina Prince and Michael. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder, I want to do this. I, Barb, when you, when we lived in the same city, uh, I would listen to your show as often as I could. And one time you, you did something that, and I don't know if you remember this, this, this was just like a everyday shtick for you or what, but you did this thing where you were like, I'm going to do something I've never done on the air before. And you teased it for a while. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm, I mean, I'm listening anyway, but go ahead, Barb, go off. And, um, <laughs> so, you know, as so you tease it, you know, after the set, I'm going to do something I never did. And your set was, I'm going to play three women artists in a row. And you talked about how that was really special and how you'd never been able to have been allowed. Do you remember this by any chance? Oh, well, I do know that I did it intentionally because I was never allowed to do that before in radio. It did not happen. It was like truly, it was truly formative in my like development of um, my identity as a feminist. It was a beautiful moment for me. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Like life-changing moment for me. Oh my Um, God. So you know, so when I tell you you're a legend, you are totally <laughs> like, oh, and I don't remember the songs you played. You know, it was it was it was great. I'm reminded of this and the fact that uh, the biggest the big according to Billboard anyway, you know, the biggest art, the biggest song of the, of the entire decade in the 80s was Olivia Newton-John. And and like you said, you know, you know, Michael's in the conversation, Prince is in the conversation. But Olivia Newton-John, I, I at least I feel maybe Patrick, you feel differently because you seem very steeped in it. Um I feel like she gets overlooked. Hey, listeners, I forgot to finish making my point. If we don't have gender parity in music, artists who happen to be female are going to get overlooked because they're just not going to get as many plays as male artists. And it's going to prevent them from maybe getting their legacy cemented in the way that it should be. Well, she totally gets overlooked because, I mean, sadly, two things happen. Number one, you know, two of a kind was... A worse flop than Xanadu. <laughs> she got married and she had a kid. So she wanted to take some time off. And, you know, I mean, it's not like, you know, she was having to hustle for groceries. I mean, right. so right. she took some time off and she came out with, which this sort of goes to the story, Back to Basics. And it came out in 1990, which, so the end of the 80s, she's ready for this resurgence. I actually had tickets to see her at Riverbend and, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, in 1990, because she's relaunching this album and it's come out, whatever. And right before the tour, she finds out she has breast cancer. 
yeah. Oh. So really, the end of the 80s, when she should have probably come back, because, I mean, how devastating is it that we didn't have her in the 90s when mm. we had Whitney and Celine? Oh. You know, because, I mean, she could have owned that rep. Yeah. But her breast cancer was bad. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go in for chemo for a couple of weeks and it's done. I mean, it was like, I'm devastated. I'm moving to Australia, taking care of myself, and then building a spa so that other people don't have to go through it bad. So I think that we don't remember her because, you know, it came out in the early, in like 82, right? The biggest song of the 80s was in 82. Huh. So then by the time 90 comes, you know, the end of the 80s, it's sort of like, you know, if you have a really great dessert and then a piece of coconut cake, you don't remember the dessert any, the appetizer. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have a really good appetizer and then coconut cake. You yeah. don't remember the appetizer anymore. And I think that's what happened with physical. And I think it almost kind of became a joke because it was every gym in the country yeah. used the song, you know, mm. in a totally different way. I mean, so- I think it's overlooked. I think it's, it's sad that it's overlooked because, you know, it is a really important song. And if you think about going to the feminist thing, you know, that is one of the early moments of women being like, fuck yeah, I'm sexy and I'm sexy and mm-hmm. I like to have sex and I want to have sex and I don't have to do everything the man says. Yeah. And that's one of the early songs to do it, which is also one of the reasons it's so outrageous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I also think that, you know, if we look back on it culturally, it also is a very significant song. I've obviously given this a lot of thought. <laughs> well, that's why we're here. I, I agree. I would love to have been a fly on the wall when she was recording it, though, because it feels like she is like cracking open so that the butterfly can come out a little right. bit like she's cracking open and she's like, let's get at them all, you know? And it's like, Oh my God, you know, yeah, that's, right. and, and then it's like, I, I'd like to think that Trent Reznor took, you know, yeah. a little something from that, you know, yeah. um, back in 89, not to say that he didn't, but I, I don't know that he's ever given a hat tip to ONJ there. But you're right that like, let's get animal is, just a what a raw line i i think we know what she's talking about and it's like wow okay yeah she's all right so let's just move swiftly into the perfect follow-up song which is the lovely six eight shuffle of (laughs) hopelessly (laughs) devoted to you from uh from greece right Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a how's this for a um, a dynamic shift, right? Very much. I'd seen other musicals before that. I saw Grease at a at a drive-in, and I just couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I think I was in fourth grade when it came out, but like we all were learning the boom, 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 boom. We're all learning all the dances and stuff. I'm sure that there was a shortage on you know skin tight black pants. You mean the like the leather pants that she wears at the end? Yeah. 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 
like, those. Oh, those. I have an image of that seared in my head or anything. <laughs> but on this song, I totally like I'm more of a Rizzo girl. But this song, I had my little like Swallens tape recorder and I would put the record player on and sing into the Swallens tape recorder really close to the microphone. So you can't really even hear the record anymore. And, you know, I had my headphones with the stereo and it wasn't good. You know, (laughs) but I carried around my tape recorder everywhere I went. I'm in fifth grade art class. I go to leave to go to the bathroom. And when I'm coming back from the bathroom, I hear this loudly coming from the classroom and everybody is laughing. Oh, no. Oh, my God. It destroyed me. Oh, no. One of my so-called friends was like had taken it out of my backpack and just hit play. And it was this song. And I could nowhere get near those notes, which is why I was always trying to record it over and over again. Mm -hmm. So it was literally like 30 minutes of tape of me doing the same song. And when I get back in the classroom and I start crying because everybody else is laughing at me, then the art teacher wakes up and, you know, (laughs) gives me my tape recorder back. But um yeah, I have some real emotions about this song. I those are real. Those are real moments for a, <laughs> for a child. Trauma, yeah. you might say. But it was. I mean, I I felt every bit of this song. You know, like I, I had a crush on somebody, right? Who didn't know I existed. Turns out he. We did wind up. He was my first boyfriend. Ah. God, I love that twist. He was also the first person in our senior class to come out. Oh, so. <laughs> and Greece is the linchpin in all of this. I actually think that makes it better. In a it way. does. It truly does. Because really, if you're first, if you think about a living in John and like your first boyfriend, he's going to be gay. Yeah. I mean, the reality <laughs> is if you're living in John is the soundtrack to your first life, you know, unless you're like a male, male couple. Mm. Probably not gonna work mm. out. Yeah, yeah. It was it, and he looked better in a skirt than I did. I saw him years later out dancing, and it's like Fred. Oh, <laughs> wow, look at you. Okay, you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, this was a big one for me, and she was so sweet at this part mm. of the movie, you know. And it's like Danny is just dogging her left and right. This guy, yeah. she'd had this this perfect fling with over the summer they'd had so much fun they had to go their separate ways and what do you know that she would wind up in exactly the same state or the same school right as him who would have right. thunk- it's magic yeah <laughs> <laughs> what that is mm-hmm. so patrick well it's funny okay so i i love this song so much I mean, I love, love, love it. And the interesting thing about Greece for eons, and I don't know that this is still true, is, you know, it was the top selling musical of all time, yeah. movie musical of all time. So, you know, Olivia can top some charts when she wants to. Mm-hmm. But, and I love this song. I, I love it. I think that it is, I think it's on par with I Will Always Love You. Oh. Um, I mean, I think it's incredible. But hmm. Greece was... So Greece, right? It's standalone, and I wish that the Greece songs weren't on this album. 
Oh, wow. I told you I had a hot take. Yeah. I mean, Greece was Greece, right? And it's this thing that's just, it's so epic that you already had it. You already owned the Greece recording. And maybe you didn't own the other stuff. I wish that they would have put other songs on this album. Oh, well, there are other songs that I feel, you know, because at this time, like, you know, later when CDs came, it's like, oh, we'll do an 18 song. It's a big deal. But at this time, you know, it was a vinyl. So you had to pick and choose. Yeah. This is one of the two songs I wish wouldn't have made the album. Oh, wow. And the other one uh, being the other one. that Summer Nights. Or you're the one that I want. Yeah. Yeah. The other three songs. Because the thing is, when I when I hear this song on this album, and it's funny because it's actually now when I hear this song anywhere and know that I love this song. But when I hear it, I always think, you know, Deeper Than the Night should have been on that album. That's how I feel every time I hear this song. Oh. Like So when I have my Libby Newton John Spotify playlist and I'm going to work and this song comes on, I'm like, you know, Deeper Than the Night really should have been on that album. <laughs> I, so... Patrick, I wonder if if you would make us a Olivia Newton John best of curated by you, and we'll we'll share the Spotify list on our uh, on our socials that and would on be our delightful. Yeah, I'll make one because you know because there are some songs like Soul Kiss that should have and the Rumor, which was inc- which I mean was an incredible song. I mean you know I can you hear know, that, that eye roll. And vocals and. You know, it's amazing. But yeah, it's funny because Deeper Than the Night is a song that I I think it's one of her sort of best. And I think that it should have made this album. And I think it would have, like it would have been next in line. It was it would have been, it was kind of, you know, the last one cut, okay. so to speak. And I just think Grease, you know, it was such a phenomenon. It's kind of like if you did like a Celine Dion best of, you really don't have to put that Titanic song on there because everybody mm-hmm. already has it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this album at this time in 1982, when this came out, you know, everybody wasn't, you didn't have Spotify. Right. Yep. So you didn't have, you know, 10,000 records unless you were Ross. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, by 82, I'm sure he did. Yeah. But you, know, but you didn't own a ton of records. And so the great thing, the reason that I picked this over physical, which was my backup choice, because physical has landslide on it, but I also left. Mm. But, you know, you didn't own a ton of album. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you bought an album, it was so that you could get an artist's work, you know, the songs that you love. And so when this album came out, I was disappointed about the Grease songs because if you're remote, if you're going to buy a Living in John's Greatest Hits Volume 2, guess what else you own? Grease. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you may not own anything else. You may not own physical. Because, you know, it, it only came out the year before. I mean, you may not own these other things, but you own Greece. And so I feel like it was a missed opportunity to show, you know, a couple mm. of other really great songs like Deeper Than the Night. Yeah. You know, and so that's when I hear this. I mean, isn't that terrible to this day? No! When I hear <laughs> either of those songs. And I love Greece. I don't listen to the Greece soundtrack, honestly, but I right. love Greece. But when I got this album, those were the two that I would always skip past because, you know, I already had it. Yeah. So I know. So it's kind of a funny, I mean, it's kind of a weird, funny take, 
But yeah. it's just my take on this. I think it's a good. I think it's a really good take as a as a person who thinks about sequencing. You know, the way I do, I can see that we talked we talked about this in a previous podcast. The guys in pinstripe suits with their cigars um, having this conversation, like it's going to be pretty hard to convince if I'm, you know, if I put my pinstripe suit on and chomp on my cigar and think about this, just like as a, as a record label owner guy, you're going to have a really hard time convincing me not to put, um, songs from the biggest movie musical in the entire planet, you know, like mm-hmm. on, on my best of record, which I expect to sell really well. Um, you, it's like, that's a hard sell for me as a, when, when I'm wearing my pinstripe. Um, but artistically, um, your, your take is, is uh, I think is right on Patrick. Like it's just, it's a, if we're trying to expose people to some other stuff or to uh, you know, to try to like talk about what's like what her best of is like, I don't know, you can do better than how do movie musicals exist in their own kind of category. Plus I think the two free songs sound like the seventies and everything else on this album sounds like the eighties. Mm-hmm. So I also think that artistically they don't fit. That mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, is that, is that like no? I, I didn't think about it. I really didn't think about it. But when you when you say it that way, I do see it that way. Yeah. And then you know, there's make a move on me. Love that song. What guy is saying no to Olivia Newton John in you know 1982? Seriously, yeah. really? What human? <laughs> yeah, he's saying no to her. I mean, like, she made a video for every song on Fistful, and which was really unusual. I mean, she was one of the first people to really embrace videos, which is probably why Physical was such a hit mm. because you know that video was that video. She made a video for this, and it's it's dumb. It's like her standing in like you know a theater singing and yet it's still just incredibly sexy yeah like everything she is sexy the song is sexy it's just sexy the, the dudes song, in her band are sexy they're all sexy right. the backup singers it doesn't matter yeah. i mean this song is just sexy yeah i mean it's sultry i mean she's got that her thing it's amazing her vocal performance is again just so dynamic and so special i love this song it's but it's very physical to me you know yeah. it's like it's like an extension of physical in its own way it's oh, yeah. like there are some other songs that we're going to talk about that i have a much more relationship with i would say mm-hmm. than this one but we got to give a shout out to the keyboards on make a move on me though there's just some incredible playing on this song mm-hmm. I mean, it was this was her peak. It's clear that when they decided to make the album physical, Xanadu hadn't done what they wanted. Although it's funny, we keep saying it didn't do what they wanted. The album was wildly successful. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the movie that didn't do well. I mean, the album went crazy. Yeah, but at this point, it has cult status, right? Like, right. but that's well, because of the music or the soundtrack was crazy successful. And so, you know, I mean, it's clear that when she made physical. It was just like, let's take all the money in the world and throw it at this. Oh, yeah. We're going to get the best there is to get. Uh-huh. And 
And it's clear that at this moment, they're just going for it. You know, it's like everything is going to be the very best. And it sounds like. Yep. To all your bedroom producers out there, just listen to this and then decide if you don't actually want a producer in a band because everybody's elevating each other in in this. I like the effect of how they turn the word touch. Like it just goes on and it feels like she's reaching out and, you know, putting her hand on his chest or something, you know, it's like, well, okay then. Like it just, (laughs) it just, it's, it's drawn out and you can feel it. It's like, Oh, Mm. all right. I don't know if it's, if it was her, if they just told her like, okay, somehow we need you to up the touch a little bit. Can you do that? Or did they extend it in production? You know? You made the prettiest speech I've heard, but a single touch surely is worth a thousand words. That's a great line. I mean, that, that's great lyrics. <laughs> I like it when you read it. I, I was really shocked to that she didn't really write any of these. A talent like hers, you don't need to be a writer. No, no. Don't even pretend. I mean, she has written some of her own music. Okay. But not really any of these. No. Well, but I think this was like, and I say this with zero shade because, of course, you know, this is Olivia and John we're talking about. I mean, I'll fight over her. <laughs> um, well, I don't so you doubt it. Just so you all, <laughs> just so you know, and so the listeners know, I will fight over Olivia and John. Um, you know, and so they're children. You know. Anyway, um, but I mean, it's very clear that this album, she's like, you know what? I'm going to be Olivia Newton-John. Like I saw what happened when I took off a frilly yellow dress and put on leather pants and a leather jacket. Mm. And so I think that, you know, there again, you know, you have unlimited money and you're like, I'm going to find all the songs that say what I want to say. Like I'm going to find songs that are better than what I can write Mm. because I'm going to find the very best. And I have the ability to do it because, you know, I'm going to create, my opus, so to speak. It's just right. going to be, this is going to be my thing. And so I think that, you know, she didn't write her own songs, but I give her credit and I give John Farrar credit because he's probably the one who found them to find, okay, we're going to find the songs that tell the story. Yeah. I mean, in a way, it's like a soundtrack because the songs tell the story. I have no issues with that she didn't write them because she pulled them all together. It's kind of like when, you know, you want to look great for this date when you're going to go to an intimate restaurant, you know, you don't make the jacket and the shirt. Right. You go buy the best jacket you can find, the best shirt you can find right. and the best shoes you can find. And you put them together. Well, right. that's what she did. So I give her credit and give, as I said, John Farrar credit for finding the very best. I just feel like all of her songs, I was surprised because she owns them. You know what I mean? She owns them in a way that it felt like they were her, her children, that they came from her. So the fact that a singer can do that with a song, and I know people do it all the time, but as someone who's either a, not a singer or in a band, the fact that, you know, they can do that is just like, wow, have that relationship with a song and make it your own, even though it came from somebody else. It's just like amazing to me. Think about the fact that, you know, most of these songs have only ever been covered one other time mm-hmm. because nobody else will touch them. And oh, the no. one time that they were covered, it was a tribute album. Yeah. 
You know, right. Juliana Hatfield did the tribute. Oh, album. God, such a great album, too. Amazing. But I mean, it's literally like, I love her. So I want to say her song. It's not, I'm going to try to make them my own because you can't. Mm-mm. This goes back actually to physical. The only cover of physical I ever remember, because it's the only person I think ever that should have been allowed to cover physical, believe it or not, Richard Simmons sang it. Oh, nice. And I think that's the only other person on the earth that should ever have been allowed to sing physical. That's terribly appropriate. And I think that it's the song that sadly goes with her. It's Purple Rain. No one else can ever sing it. Because nobody oh, else can ever do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I give you that. There's an industrial version of physical. Oh. Um, a thousand homo DJs, or is it? Oh, it is. You know what? There is, and it's terrible. Or yeah. is it? Is it straight up Nine Inch Nails? I I, I don't remember. There I'm is struggling. One. No, you're um, right. There is one. It shouldn't have happened. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, you know, again. Maybe that's where Trent Reznor came up with, right. you know, a part of Closer. Right. If we found out that like Trent Reznor is this huge, <gasps> that would be the most amazing thing. Wouldn't shock me. To, it wouldn't shock me. Nearly. It wouldn't shock me if he had even sampled some of her work to, to create the, right. especially um, it pretty hate machine. All the drums were sampled from other great uh, uh, recordings. Right. It wouldn't. And, and the production on this is so good. And he's clearly a student of production. It wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. in the slightest if he no. wasn't just. If he's deep. listening, reach out. Totally. Kurt Resner, yeah. head to the tracks pod yeah. at gmail.com. Exactly. Uh, let us know. We, <laughs> we, we would love to hear your story. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I am so ready to move on to the next song. A little more love. This is my goodness. You like this one, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember like my mom was a pop person and my dad was kind of a country person. So there was all kinds of fighting in the car over what to listen to. And sometimes they'd listen to oldies and then they hit over to a pop station. And something about Olivia Newton-John doing this song. My dad was okay with my dad could listen. I mean, who wouldn't be right? This is like, this is freaking sex. This is my, just the way she sings like night. It's like, oh, Uh I'm a little bit of a flutter right now. You know, she is just pouring it on. It's a, it's a very Nashville chorus. So I can see where somebody who, uh, who's used to, you know, country music would take onto this because it, it starts out as like a kind of dirty rock tune. But then that chorus hits. And I mean, to me, it also kind of sounds like an ABBA song. It has a Nashville kind of sensibility to it, I think. Sure. Because I mean, that, which would make sense. Yeah. The start of the, the change. Okay. Totally Hot came out right after Grease. 
And, you know, Greece was, I mean, if you, Olivia and John a year before Greece was like country hits. Mm-hmm. And then there was Greece, which, you know, it's funny because she didn't want to do it. And then, you know, she puts on the leather pants and the leather jacket, and everything changes. So the next album is totally hot, which is where this is from. So it makes sense. It's transitional from that country to pop. Mm. But it's it's clearly pop. Those you know those those midi horns, those synth horns. Mm-hmm. In Nashville, they would have hired a real horn section. But in other places, other cities, you can uh, you can get away with dialing up a keyboard sound and calling it good and giving it that sound. I mean, it, that's a deliberate. I mean, it, you know, right. I mean, at the time, it was very deliberate. I mean, I think now you could do that so realistically, you would know. But you know, then it had that. I think it has that kind of metallic sound, which I really like. Right, and like you said, Patrick, with the budget that was available to her. There's no reason they can't go out and hire a, a horn section if they need to. So it's it's very much the 80s uh, kind of starting to kind of creep in. Mm-hmm. We will talk about Olivia Newton-John's horn sections very shortly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I fell deep into a hole in a couple of songs. So. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So it's funny. And I hate doing this. Like, I really hate this. Because uh-huh. I hate to look at a 1978 or 1979 song with the 2021 sensibility. But when I listened to this song, something about it struck me that has never struck me before. And it was actually for this. It doesn't fit with physical and, and make a move on me. Because it's basically saying, I'll do more if you won't leave. Yep. Yeah. And I've never had that reaction to a Newton John song. But I'm like, fuck him if he wants to leave. i mean yeah if he wants to leave cut all the left sleeves off his shirt and sit him out the door i mean (laughs) why would you it's funny it kind of it's sort of bothered i mean if i had a kid you know if my kid was you know and i would name her olivia um of course i might name her olivia newton john i may change my name um (laughs) so that i could do it but but if I had a kid and she's like, well, you know, I mean, he's unhappy. I'd be like, well, show his ass the door. Yep. I wouldn't say, well, I mean, maybe you could, maybe you can fix it. Looking at it with what I know now, like looking at it with what's going on right now, I would never tell a woman or any woman, a man, a yeah. day, I don't care. I would never tell anyone, well, he's not happy. So you need to change what you're doing. Yeah. It is sexy, but at the same time, she is saying, you know, well, it gets me nowhere to tell you no. Um, So it's like, so I guess if putting out is what's going to keep you around. okay. she's saying with a little more love. Right. Isn't that weird? I've always loved this song. And even when I told you this was the album I wanted to talk about, I didn't have this opinion. I've done that in the past, what, six, eight months that we've been doing this. I've found songs that, you know, I just sang in the background and I never really paid attention and gone back and said, well, that doesn't hold up very well uh-huh. anymore. Now, does it? Um, uh-huh. No. But is it the guitar that comes up at the end? Is it is it a pedal or is it a guitar? It punctuates the end of every sentence mm-hmm. in the verse. Mm. Gus, do you know? Is it? Yeah, I think it's a guitar. Okay. That one little thing is so super sexy. Yeah. And her voice is so sexy. Yeah, everything about right. it. Is, I mean, everything about it is sexy. It's such a sexy song. Right. But, you know. It's just unfortunate that the power dynamics are expressed the way they are. 
um, when right. she's begging him to stay. And there's, there's possibly a, she might be the, the side chick in this too. Cause there's a line about, I, I want, I don't want you to go home or I know that you're going to have to go home. Right. So there's a, there's an indication mm. that he, he can't spend the night for one reason or the other. Right. And so the, the power dynamic that's at play here is unfortunate, but then you got to figure like, uh, you know, hopefully they're still having a good time. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, Lenny and John and remember like this is before physical. The one saving grace that I take from this is knowing that she moved from this album, Totally Hot, to physical. So where I'm kind of like, you know, she has this, I'll put out if you'll stay to, I'm now going to be the aggressor. You'll put so, out if I say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know. So now we go back to a grease track, the, that two-step dance that we all learned. It's iconic. Yeah. And it's a fun, it is a super fun song. Uh, it's so fun. But when you listen to this album, it's like the red wine stain on the white table. It's the one of everything. It's the one that doesn't fit. Yes. But if it was a red wine stain on a white tablecloth, you could get it out. Well, I on mean, this album, we can't. Right, exactly. <laughs> you can just go past it. That's the great thing about a CD and now Spotify. You just hit next. You can. So you just move the oxygen bleach of my Spotify. See, it. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one that I want. It's just too damn campy for this record. Wow. It's just too campy for this record. And have you watched Grease, Gus? Oh, in, in drive-ins and, and okay. uh, outdoor theaters my okay. entire life. Okay. So, like, I see, you know, the coach and the dog doing the, ooh, 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 you know, ooh, 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 yeah. right, that stuff. I, I see the total camp of the car, you know, mm-hmm. grease lightning, you know, yeah. going into the clouds. It doesn't fit. You're uh, right. Yeah. And I love it in concert. Of the times I've seen the Living Newton John mm. concert, which I won't tell you how many, but more than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and when I see it in concert, I love this because it's fun and you know it's going to be fun. And she puts on her leather jacket, you know, she still yes. wears tight little oh. pants and she still moves across the stage. And to me, watching her sing this song is like watching Tina Turner sing Proud Mary. Uh. It's, you know, it's going to be physical and exciting and fun. And it is. It's everything you want, but on this album, it doesn't fit. I don't disagree with anything you said. On the other hand, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're the one. You're the one that I want. It is absolutely ecstatically fun. Like totally. If you can't have fun listening to "You're the One That I Want," you're just a jerk. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. That's it. It doesn't fit on the album. No. Could we replace that with something better? Yes. But is "You're the One That I Want" just pure? you know, what is three and a half minutes of like movie musical bliss? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, it's the best. But get it off this damn record. That's what, that's what we're all saying. <laughs> right. But it is. It, I, I completely agree with you. It's, a, it's such a fun song. It's so super fun. 
I did not know the next song. I love the next one. Because I think it's another one from this, uh, this greatest hits. Right. It's the other single. Tied up. The second star of the song is a man named Tom Scott on the sax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that man, I looked him up. You guys, holy cannoli. This guy has, you know, he's released his own like albums. Um, he he's from L.A. He has worked as a side man, as a band leader. And then with. He is one of the active members of the Blues Brothers. Oh. He's worked with Joan Baez, Tim Buckley, not his son, Robbie Williams, Tom Waits, Carol King, Lulu, Eric Carmen, Juice Newton, Johnny Rivers, George Benson, Tina Turner, Michael Bublé, Eddie Money, Barry Manilow, Joe Cocker, Neil Diamond, uh, Sarah Barry Ellis. Josh Groban, Ricky Lee Jones, Frankie Valley, Barbara Streisand, oh. Rod Stewart, Dan Fogelberg, Aretha, Donovan, Garfunkel, Glenn Campbell, Peggy Lee, Randy Newman, George Harrison, Thelma Houston, Michael McDonald, Phoebe Snow, Minnie Ripperton, Al Jarreau, Richard Marks, Joni Mitchell, Natalie Cole, Bernie Talpin, Denise Williams, Sarah Vaughn, Helen Reddy, Olivia Newton-John, Christopher Cross, Boz Skaggs, Ringo Starr, Dolly Parton. I mean, it, it just and Steely Dan like this guy is the guy for horns uh. like what? Like they they called in the big guns on this one. And I'm like, how do I not know this? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't own this greatest hits record. Mm-hmm. And this did not get serviced. Never heard it on the radio. Have you? Mm-hmm. It was on the radio. It came out after Heart Attack. It was released as the next single. What happened was it was released as a single and then almost immediately Two of a Kind came out. Mm, Twist of Fate. With Twist of Fate, exactly. (laughs) And so it kind of got pushed to the side. The other interesting thing about this song going with, well, first of all, Tom Scott opened for Livy on the tour in 82, but the song was also written by Lee Rittenuer, so that's why it feels so jazzy. Mm-hmm. got a jazz sort of a background yeah it's a great song it's really fun there is something about opening up a greatest hits and going i think i know everything this person's done and going what the hell is this yeah mm-hmm. i had never heard this song and i was like huh okay mm-hmm. so i gave it a little you know special attention and did the deep dive on tom scott because he was like he has been around he's still active he's still playing and that's kind of amazing. Is that who's playing that flute that's doing that vocal flute thing at the same time? Or is that someone else? It's funny. I was going to mention the flute because I think it's so prominent. Isn't that amazing? It is. And, you know, it's not often that a flute pops up in a yeah. pop song so prominent. Yeah. 
but I love that. That's <laughs> uh, just tremendous. Like the, the musicality and that he's like singing, he's like humming the pitch as he's playing it, which I gather is a thing that a talented flautist can do. Very cool. Very musical. I, I this is another one where I'm just like you, uh, Olivia Newton John, are working with the absolute best of the best, and it shows. the The world music thing is coming through on this one. There's like mm. there's the you know a, a Peter Gabriel kind of you know um, Paul Simon thing where it's just like we're 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 doing that a little bit now at this point. Uh, we're, we're our white artists are appropriating a little bit, if you mm-hmm. want to say, and um, getting into some of the world sounds and exploring, but uh, it, it doesn't um, certainly is not reductive. It certainly adds to the, the overall strength of the song. It's funny. I've never thought about the world music thing, but that would make sense because she does an album a few years later that has a lot of Aboriginal sounds and, you know, Australian. So that kind of makes sense. Mm. Oh yeah. So I hadn't really thought about the world music thing, but I'm going to have to go back and listen with that ear. Cause that's an interesting because, you know, Gaia, which wasn't released in the U.S., there's a lot of sort of Aboriginal sounds in it. Oh, I don't know that record at all. Well, it was never released in the U.S. I, um, <laughs> as a young, as a wee lad, had to call Tower Records in London and import it myself because I couldn't find a record store in the U.S. that would get it for me. Oh, wow. And I needed it because uh-huh. I didn't need it. <laughs> Do you have all of her stuff on vinyl? I don't have it on vinyl. Vinyl, I hate to say this to you all. I, I, vi- vinyl isn't necessarily my thing. I mean, I've bought Ross a few on vinyl and he had a couple, but I um, am just as happy listening to it on Spotify. I mean, I wanted them all on CD so I could take them with me because, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been kind of a commuter. So I liked having them on the go. Mm-hmm. Are we ready for what's next? Yeah. (laughs) Suddenly. I need to go back and watch Xanadu again because I swore to God that this was Barry Gibb and not Cliff Richard. And when I'm like, look, listening to it, I'm like, this isn't Barry Gibb. Wow. I love suddenly it's a yacht rock duet. Oh, that is the best description I've ever heard of that song (laughs) in the best possible way. Yeah. I love yacht rock. Yeah. I mean that with all love and respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved it. I loved this song the first time I heard it. I love it now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what just a pretty duet sounds like. Yeah. You know, is it the most technical thing she's ever done now? Wow, is it just dreamy? Yes. I wrote in my notes that it's just crystalline production. Mm-hmm. It just shines, it shimmers, mm-hmm. pierces. They've got a ton of people on this. Really? Yeah, like uh, John Farrar was on the guitar and the synthesizer. They had bass guy, had green on drums, Boddicker on vocoder, electric piano, and an orchestra conductor. An orchestra conductor. You don't see that very often. Um, Wait, is there an orchestra? Uh, There's strings on this, right? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Thinking of the production side, which I don't really think of the production side with her, you know, we kind of have to give it up to John Farrar, who mm-hmm. really is so crucial to her whole career. I mean, because he's producing all of her music, like every song we've talked about, he produced. You know, he's written some of them, but he also kind of never steered her wrong. Mm-mm. It's not fair to say that he's like Bernie Topin, but he certainly is very significant to her success. Yeah. More significant than probably anyone who doesn't read liner notes to every one of her albums would know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny because I think there's a time where she kind of stopped working with him, you know, and some odd things happened. <laughs> that is, that can be the case. Some odd things happened. Mm-hmm. Some odd things happened in her life, too. Like mm-hmm. she had a husband that went missing for boyfriend. a boyfriend. Yeah, his name was Pat Williams. Yeah, he, um, they did finally find it in Mexico. Oh. As far as I know, it's never really been said what happened. Okay. But he did show up in Mexico. Wow. And then she, you know, marries a guy who sells herbs. That sounds know, nice. Who's a billionaire. He's a billionaire who sells herbs. As you do. So then we close out with Xanadu. You know, it is the place that nobody dared to go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is the love that we came to know. Yeah. And now we are here. It's I so mean, perfect. Well, I mean, there again, it's ELO and Olivia Newton John. I mean, kind of like magic, sort of a weird song. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're singing about an imaginary place. And this the title is taken from a poem that no one knows. <laughs> and yet, all of us want to go to Xanadu. Oh, yes. oh, absolutely. You know, we want to put on our roller skates and oh, watch God. the fountain and see Gene Kelly and, you know, and remember, see that band with the suit suits and that sort of futuristic band. We want them to merge together and we just want to be there. I mean, it's like it's what we wanted Studio 54 to do with Xanadu. Ooh. You know, it's just this perfect thing and this song. Oh. What's the Talk movie? about a song you cannot get up and dance. I mean, if yeah. we turn it on now, you you would see me get up and dance, and you don't want to see it, so don't do it. <laughs> but, but I would because I would have no choice. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just the music takes control. I mean, yeah, I feel like a pair of uh, roller skates are going to just arrive in the mail magically if I listen to Xanadu one more time. Oh. I, I want to be roller skating so bad when I listen. But, to this. but on but on skates, not blades. Yeah. Or, oh Jesus. Yeah. Let's be clear here. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. I want to go I, roller skating. Skating. Is this, this is just all this like post Star Wars scramble where it's just like, we need to have space <laughs> and we need to have fantasy and we need to have wizards. And like, I don't care. Just put them in space. This is like part of that era. It was like, let's have the magic of Star Wars plus the magic of Greece um, plus the magic of Gene Kelly. Right. Definitely of the era. And, you know, it's one of those things that you can see why that somebody's like, this is going to work. Like, yeah. we're going to pull this off. Yeah. Because, 
you have everything possible going for it. Yeah. Like, you know, you have this, this hunky leading man who <laughs> looks like what every woman wants. Yes. And then, you know, you have this singing goddess and then you have mm-hmm. Gene Kelly, who is like the legend's legend. One of the biggest bands in the world. I mean, it's like everything is right. Yeah. And then, so thinking about Xanadu, the song, first of all, it's totally in Olivia's wheelhouse. It's totally, it, it's the range. I mean, obviously, because it's written for her, the range is perfect for yeah. her. She can hit those high notes that she can hit. And, you know, she hits those raspy parts of her voice that we all love because that's when she goes crazy sexy. So, you know, you get that. But, you know, I love her. And Olivia, if you're listening, go ahead and turn it off right here. Um, (laughs) She's not an actress. She's great in Greece, but in Greece, she's playing herself. You know, she's playing this young ingenue who wants to sort of come out as the bad girl, which is exactly what she wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. So she's playing herself. She's in a movie before this called Tomorrow, which was supposed to launch a pop band. It was supposed to be kind of like a monkey sort of thing Mm. where there was going to be a movie and then there's going to be a band. It's not her strongest work. She then is in Xanadu where she's heavenly because, you know, she looks like that. She sounds like that. But the reality is if you watch her acting, you know, I mean, she's not going to get an Oscar for that. And then she's in two of a kind and she's not that great. And then she did a movie a few years later, A Mom for Christmas, which was made for TV. And it continued to show that this is not her strong suit. Yeah. The thing is, I think that they wanted her because it's her, right? And she's come off of this thing. But, you know, would Xanadu have been as bad if we found somebody who was really a strong actress? Mm-hmm. Is that terrible? I mean, <laughs> is it just the movie is that bad? So if you're out there and you are currently working on the uh, Xanadu reboot for Netflix. Right. Uh, God. <laughs> I have some notes. Yep. Uh, Patrick's got some notes. Oh, my God. She was in a Ned and Stacy episode. She was. Oh, she my was God. Also on an episode of Bette Midler. Remember Bette Midler had that short little talk show? Or oh, short my God. Sitcom. She was on an episode of that. But She was you know. in a recent Sharknado film. Nice. Oh, I have not seen that. Come on, Patrick. I know, right? I mean, I'm sorry. I feel like I've let you all down. <laughs> so when I met you, uh, I was going uh, with your boyfriend, Ross, who we've had on before. We did the um, our Pride episode was the Pet Shop Boys with Ross. Oh. And we were going to a concert at the fairgrounds and you were with us. And I'm like, so are you going to see the show? And you're like, no, I don't want to see that. I'm going to go see quilts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just set the tone i'm like okay okay you would go and you would look at who won the ribbons for quilts and stuff mm-hmm. and then fast forward if you will you, you had the first mona williams shop right. and then that grew to two you've got one at mall of america one in mm-hmm. st paul and then you started getting on definitely i i heard about Lori and julia talking to you mm-hmm. on air here in the twin cities about laundry now you've written a book and you've got a tv show on the discovery network right and you are all over the place you've also got a a laundry boot camp right how do people reach out to you now 
you can go to the laundryevangelist.com because my email is actually preach at the laundryevangelist.com. But laundry camp is laundrycamp.com. So if somebody I just started doing them on Zoom. There, if there's an upside to this horrible last 18 months that we've had, it's that I finally figured out Zoom and I figured out social media. So I have Instagram and Twitter now at Laundry Patrick. You've got to see the show. This isn't public radio. I I can do a call to action. You've got to watch the show just to see Patrick bring these things back to life. I bet you both have concert tea collections that are just incredible, you know, and I always say like, I even use concert teas as an example, because sometimes people tell me, well, I didn't spend very much money on it. I'm like, well, you know, one of the cheapest things I ever bought was a culture club t-shirt at the Minnesota state fair but I waited my whole life to get a culture club t-shirt. Right. So even though it, you know, it was probably $18, you know, it's still very precious to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you take care of things that are precious. I still have my Olivia Newton-John t-shirt from 1982. I believe that. I, um, my mom once was going to throw it away. What? Uh-huh. We had words right there. <laughs> uh. She said, well, it's not like you can wear it. And it's true because when I got it, it was an adult small because that was the smallest one they had. And like, it, I swam in, I mean, it was like a dress. Yeah. And I mean, now an adult small would not fit my wrist, you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, I still love it. Right. And, you know, I have a, I have a collection of living. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. We might, yeah. we, we're probably going to circle around and get you on another record. All right. Patrick, thank you so much. Anytime you want to talk music with us, our doors are wide, wide open. Thanks so much. This has been so much more fun than I would have ever imagined because it <laughs> allowed me to go down the rabbit hole of Olivia Newton John, which is, you know, and who doesn't want to do that all day? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> doesn't seem like a stretch for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give Ross a hug for me. I'll do it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much, sweetie. Hey, thanks for listening to Tied to the Tracks. We put up a new episode every two weeks, so smash that subscribe button and catch every new episode. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at tiedtothetrackspod at gmail.com. And all of those links that I just said, plus show notes, are on our website, tttpod.com. Also, for Apple Podcast listeners, we have a special request. Please go give us a five-star review, and we want you to leave your favorite movie soundtrack as a comment. That helps with the algorithm that apparently helps us reach more listeners. So we would really appreciate that, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.